welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 211th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 705th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of April 29th, 2021. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. The banner moment. Just words? Maybe. The banner moment. That's why you're listening to us on a Thursday night when the NFL draft is on. Definitely. The banner moment, are they just words? Possibly. No. The banner moment, it's a vision. Absolutely. Banners, it's what Indiana basketball is all about. Okay, so this Wednesday I participated in my first poetry slam. Did so to impress Mrs. Tonsoni, but also to move out of my comfort zone. Liked it so much I thought I would bring some poetry to Assembly Call Radio. Honestly... I believe I am witnessing poetry and basketball, a vision, a hire, recruiting, and some promotion. This week's banner moment is watching Scott Dolson's vision take place in real time. So far, it's more than just words. Thanks, Scott. Okay, let me introduce uh, my esteemed co-hosts for tonight. Andy and Ryan are off tonight, and Jared will be joining us later. But here with me now is one of the two godfathers of IU Podcasting, the head of sports media department at Indiana, and a man who who may be choosy about which national sandwich brands he will and will not shill for, but who always has some whiskey in the wintertime for you. Wow. What a cold. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Galen Clavio. What's up, Galen? What is your uh, take on uh, IU basketball? How are you feeling uh, this week? Coach, doing great. Thanks for having me on as normal, and great to see all you folks out there. I apologize if you've already listened to Crimson Cast and you're getting another 90 minutes of me or whatever it is on this show. But, you know, look, it feels like springtime for IU athletics and IU basketball in general, both literally and figuratively. We're going to talk a lot about that throughout the course of the show. And I know from my own perspective, and I'm kind of a unique spot here at IU, that it feels different. And we're going to talk about this quite a bit. It feels uh, like something really positive, something better is beginning with IU athletics and IU basketball in particular. So um, I'm excited. I'm juiced. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm not endorsing any sandwich shops during however long we're, we're on the show here tonight. Uh, I've got my own list of endorsements and, and uh, nothing with bread is involved with them. <laughs> That, you know, it, it's interesting on our part because uh, Jared produces the run sheets, and some you read some parts and you don't read others, and you're going live, and you're like, okay, I hope I'm, I hope this is coming across the right way uh, that that Jared intended it to. But we're glad to have you here, and it does feel um, a, a lot different. I'm trying to put my finger on it uh, as well. Uh, whether you're all in 100%, IU's going to win the national title, or or you're cautiously optimistic, there it's a different feel, and it's a feel that we 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 deserve as a as a community, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, you here's the thing: people have asked me this. I get some feedback once in a while. Like, I feel like I'm getting too excited about IU football or IU basketball, and it's okay. 
Like, go ahead and get excited. It's fine. And just because you're excited about what's going on with your programs doesn't mean that if they don't win the national championship that somehow you were wrong. Like it's, it's, it's all like, there's, there's these levels of accomplishment. And I think the hallmark of a good program, the hallmark of a program that you and I are used to rooting for from back when we were younger is, you know, you might not win the national title or a conference title every year, but you can still be excited and still be proud and still be uh, almost arrogant about the program that you support or the programs that you support in this case. And that's kind of how I've approached it. I mean, there's been no wins on the floor or on the field. Nothing's happened. Nothing's going to happen for a few months, at least, uh, you know, to start with. And that's all right. We can bathe in the glow of what's going on on social media, what's going on in recruiting. It's a okay. Yeah. And and it's just a good feeling. Um, It's one, like you said, that uh, if you've been a fan of the Indiana basketball program for a while, you felt before. It was going into Assembly Hall and figuring you're going to win. And, okay, if you lost, you walked out a little disappointed. But you never thought for at any point during that game you were going to lose. It's that, it's that confidence, that, that little bit of cockiness in, in your program. And it's starting to, it's starting to inch back. And, and I think um, that's, a, that's very, been very enjoyable for me the last month. But here's what we're going to cover this week. We have some Hoosier headlines for you, including some jersey number announcements. Uh, the main topic is the rebranding of Indiana basketball. We've kind of hinted upon that in, in our opening. And at the end, we have a lot of uh, questions. Thanks to the chat mob and our community, uh, there, there are a lot of great questions coming through on a weekly basis, and we, we uh, really appreciate that. All of that is coming up uh, this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we jump into uh, Hoosier Headlines, I want to give you a heads up on a website you need to check out soon with Mother's Day, now just over a week away, and Father's Day coming up a month after that. You need a thoughtful, unique gift for the sports moms and dads in your life, which means you really should pick out something from Playbook Products. They offer an incredible selection of fun, high-quality coasters and coffee mugs that feature diagrams of famous plays. For IU, it's the watch shot, key smart shot, and more. For the White Sox, you've got Paul Canerco's World Series Grand Slam, Dwayne Wise catch, and more. For the Pacers, it's moments like Reggie Miller's eight points in nine seconds and silencing Spike Lee. And for the Steelers, I mean, come on, you could probably guess which Steeler plays are on there. They literally have something for every pro team and a ton of college teams as well. These are unique gifts that the sports fan in your life will appreciate, which is why Andy got them for Jared all those years ago, and now we're happy to tell you about them here on the show. So go to Assembly Called dot com backslash pp that's assemblycall.com backslash pp and start browsing you'll definitely find something for yourself or the sports fan in your life and here's a bonus when you use that url assemblycall.com backslash pp they know that we sent you so we get a 15 percent commission on your entire order go to assemblycall.com backslash pp and pick out your coasters and mugs today that's assemblycall.com backslash pp All right, so uh, here we go uh, with some Hoosier headlines. Uh, Indiana basketball was very great on uh, social media this week. Uh, My my guy, family friend, Andrew Brown, is breaking out uh, with his video work. But the New Jersey numbers, they announced New Jersey numbers. Xavier Johnson will be zero, had previously worn number one uh, at Pitt. Rob Finnessy uh, from one. Uh, from 10 uh, to taking Al Durham's old number, number one, Miller Cop will be 12, as he was at Northwestern, and Logan Duncan will be 51, which is his high school number, and Tamar Bates, uh, 53 to honor uh, his grandma. Uh, only two Hoosiers have ever worn 53 recently, I believe, uh, Tom Geyer 
and someone I'm related to, uh, my brother-in-law, Ross Hales, uh, also wore uh, 53 for his brief goon moments at the University of Minnesota when he got in and, and all the things they talked about him back in 93, 94. So it's just bringing back a, a lot of good memories of number 53 uh, on the basketball court. Um, but Tamar, the, the serious thing is it's, it's really cool to see you honor your, your grandmother, and that, that's pretty cool too. Mike Roberts uh, uh, leaves Indiana and, and takes a coaching job at Cincinnati. We wish Coach Roberts a lot of luck. Uh, it was fun listening to him to shout out uh, all the calls and that, and I know that he wants to be a head coach at some point, so this is a positive move for Coach Roberts. The NCAA officially ratifies the one-time transfer legislation. That was expected. And then the name image likeness laws continue to move forward, but the NCAA is dragging its feet a little bit. Eleven states uh, have these laws in place uh, and maybe to go in effect as soon as July, uh, which means athletes could be getting some money there. Fifteen other states have laws moving through uh, the process. Uh, Indiana is not one of those states. And the NCAA is likely to follow a lawsuit uh, asking for an injunction so they can figure out some kind of national standard. Uh, the NCAA did announce um, did not announce anything definitive this week, just kicked stuff down the road, hoping uh, that someone else, Congress, will do that. And they also extended Mark Emmert uh, to 2025, which could be a whole rant of every one of us, uh, Ryan, Galen, Scott, uh, and probably Phil, an entire show about – uh, I'd like to get extended for doing that kind of job performance uh, because it. I guess that's uh, my personal take. But uh, those are some headlines, uh, Galen. Uh, what do you want to uh, hit first? Oh gosh, uh, I mean, any of those would be good entry points. Uh, let's start with. Um, I mean, this, the, the the roster numbers are mundane, but always fascinating. Is this the most fifty plus numbers that we've had on an IU team at yeah. once ever? Yeah, and, and they're usually the bigger dudes, you know. It's going to be interesting to see Tamar fly around and, and you know, drive the lane and shoot threes with the with the 50 number on his back. We, we had it with Earl Calloway. That's about the only one that I can really remember. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit unusual, but it's, it's cool. I mean, I think it's always weird when existing players change numbers. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be that much of an adaptation to see Rob Finnessy wearing one instead of ten, but – that is, it's maybe that's good. I think Rob needed a a complete mojo change from the last couple of seasons, and I think getting him into a different number maybe that just ends up being what you know lights the spark for him. And you know the rest of them, I, I'm. It'll just be nice to see the guys in uniform, honestly. And from the standpoint of of how it all fits together on the floor. I think the bigger question is like, what numbers are even going to be on the floor at this point? It's almost impossible at this stage. This roster feels more full and deeper than we've seen in several years for IU. And trying to predict even who's going to be on the floor at this point is a little bit of a guessing game. Yeah, you know, and and from a a coaching standpoint, I I was really intrigued with Rob's number change. Uh, At first, I thought maybe someone moving in uh, was doing it and he was just giving up uh, the number 10, but that's not what's happened. And I think you're spot on with maybe it's a psychological thing, too. You, you know, you, you've had some struggles, some health struggles, uh, a, a tough year last year, and, and you're just going to change things up. Um, and, and, you know, that stuff works sometimes. It, it's not just the X's and O's and the workout and are you crossing over or your, is your elbow in. That stuff's all important, too. But a part of coaching is trying to figure out ways – uh, to free up the mind. Uh, and I really think that that sports performance aspect is is a real thing in, at all levels. And moving from 10 to 1, 
uh, is a change in itself, but one is the number for Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. So there, you know, I've done that with athletes too, like giving them a nickname, um, giving them something, uh, call them something, give them a number just so I could use that to try to promote them and make them feel better about their play so that the physical stuff can come on. So that's one that really grabbed me was his choice because he's a veteran. He didn't have to. So there's something right. to signal there, uh, and I think it's nothing but positive. And I, maybe I'm looking way too much in, into number changes. No. But. I mean, look, I think it all feeds into a larger narrative, which we'll see this year if the narrative's true or false. I, I mean, you know, a lot of this is just us talking. But you can either buy into the idea that the IU basketball players were just irrevocably broken and that this is just a group that isn't very good. Uh, that a group that's not very talented that can't play at this level, or you can buy into the idea that this is a talented group of players that had lost their mojo and had lost their confidence in different ways, whether it was individually or collectively. And so anything to break that up and to give people a different perspective internally in their own minds about who they are, what their identity is, how they fit on the floor with each other and what they can do by themselves, I think is something that you have to take a crack at. And so I think for Rob Finnessy, it's like jumping into a phone booth and coming out with the Superman cape on. Like to some degree, if you can get him thinking about himself as a different player than number 10 last year, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a positive thing. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the NCAA. I know we've had shows about this in the past, uh, about the NIL stuff and explaining all that. But um, from afar, it, it just seems to me the NCAA drags its feet on innovation uh, and things that are good for its student athletes. And, um, you know, I heard a few podcasts talk about the, the extension of Emmert, but you go with the, the name image likeness stuff. The NCAA makes rules all the time. Uh, I don't know why they couldn't make a rule that benefits players. And they, they say they have to wait for Congress and all. I don't think they do. Um, it, it seems to me like the NCAA stubs its toe on purpose, whether it's the women's basketball uh, equipment issues uh, and, and the lack of equality there or not, that you got to have people in the mind in that organization that are forward thinking or, or you're not a good organization. Am I missing something? I think the problem with the NCAA is it is a bureaucracy on top of a bureaucracy. It is a, it's a collection of all of the schools that are members, which is like a thousand schools. Now, there's only 353 that are at Division One, and it's even a smaller number that matter out of that group from a voting perspective. But it's you've got that, and then you've got the actual like executive leadership, which is different from that group. And you know, you can read the piece in the Atlantic uh, that Nicole Auerbach put together after the NCAA snuck in the announcement in like the fifth paragraph of a press release that Emmert had been extended. And you read the comments from athletic directors and other people in college athletics, and they're all just aghast. They're like, how could, what, what is this? This is the dumbest thing. They're rewarding this person. Um, there's a couple of things about that to keep in mind. In many ways, Mark Emmert's role is much like Roger Goodell's role at the NFL level, where he is there to take abuse. He is there to deflect criticism of the membership, of which there should be plentiful uh, criticism, by being a pinata for all of the critiques of the NCAA, a pinata for the you know the the weight incident with the women's uh, basketball tournament or with NIL or whatever, it's also it's like steering a battleship, but even slower. Like whatever's bigger than a battleship in the water, essentially trying to change the way that the NCAA does its business. There is a tremendous 
a level of, of stasis when it comes to moderating, modifying the game, moderating what you do with athletes. And there's a real fear among institutions that anything that you do to open up the floodgates of athletes getting compensation is going to lead to the ruin of the profit centers that most of these colleges and universities have developed over the course of the last 25 years. And there's still a big parochial attitude about not paying players or players, you know, should be grateful that they're even getting the chance to, to be at college playing sports. So you wrap all that up, you're going to get this kind of a situation where you, you know, you re up a very unpopular executive director who doesn't seem to be doing a good job. You drag your feet on name, image, and likeness because you can't come to a consensus within your own organization, but you want to retain the right to make the decision rather than what's going on with all of these states passing their own individual uh, you know, laws. And, and, and if you're, you know, they've been waiting for Congress to do something. I don't think Congress is going to really get anything done for them in the timetable that they're talking about. And so look, it's easy to, to look at the NCAA and be critical of what they do. And I think there's a lot of reasons to do that. What ultimately ends up comes down to is a lot of what we perceive as them being slow is, is actually just them being slow. It's not them dragging their feet on purpose. It's they're dragging their feet because that's the only way that they can operate. They, they're not swift enough as an organization to be at the front end of things. They're constantly on the back end. Is there anything as fans that – do we just sit back and watch it turn slowly? Or, uh, you know, is it – I mean, I know there's no influence, right? We, we have no, no influence. We're going to buy tickets. We're going to go to events. We're going to fill, you know, the football stadiums for the Final Four and do all that because of the sport. Um but it just seems frustrating to me that, you know, the millions of dollars that are generated and these athletes can just get a piece of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't – I've I've just really changed because I'm an old guy and, and I can understand how you want to, you know, hold on to that the, the way amateurism was. But I've changed. Um, and I, so I've – I've changed, and I think people are open to that, but it doesn't seem like the organization running sport is, and and that that to me is frustrating um, because I think it's it's a win win for for people. But there, the problem is there's too many stakeholders. They've got too many other things going on. You've got university presidents who are committed to the academic mission. They look at athletics at best as a way to engage alumni and get donations. At worst, they look at it as a detraction or a distraction from the academic mission of the university. They look at the drinking and the tailgating and the stuff that goes on around it as being, you know, the bread and circuses to, to borrow a, uh, a, a, a phrase that was used by a former Indiana professor that, that will not be named. Um, but then you got athletic directors who's like, this is our job. Like, this is what we do. We have, you know, multi, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. Um, that, that's committed to making this work on a year-by-year -year basis. And so you've got this being pulled in a bunch of different directions. And you've got the NCAA who, you know, the only reason the NCAA exists as an entity is as an enforcement arm of a book of rules that not even all of the schools can agree on. So you think about it from the standpoint of a place like Indiana. And, you know, for IU fans, if you're thinking about name, image, and likeness and being like, well, why does this matter? Like, why should we care? That's how Indiana takes advantage of some of the financial inequities that keep it below an Ohio State or a Michigan. You you have to be a place that takes advantage of potential rules changes where you can get athletes coming in who can capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. You, you promote athletes. You allow athletes to tell their own stories. You really go fully into that, which I think we'll talk about here a little bit later on in the show. Um, 
that's how you help to level the playing field because you're not going to level it through selling football tickets because even if Indiana sells out the stadium, they're still at less than half capacity of like three other schools in the conference. Uh, so you have to find those other things. But not everybody feels that way in the NCAA. And so it's one of the many things that creates problems and concerns with trying to fix anything because if you can't get consensus, you can't do much. And Galen points out a really good thing. If they're not, if they're going to be slow to change it, let's be Indiana and take advantage of it. And we're going to talk about that uh, coming up here in segment two. And what you're seeing is some rebranding of the Indiana basketball and taking advantage of that. Um, and so it's been the biggest story of the week, the splash IU meet made on social media. And uh, who better to discuss it than the man who literally wrote the book on sports and social media. So stick with us on the assembly call. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. Hey, let me ask you a question. How do you keep up uh, with the fire hose of information that comes out almost every day uh, about IU basketball? It's crazy during the offseason, especially this offseason. Well, we've got your back. We send out a free weekly email newsletter on Sunday mornings that rounds up the most important and interesting IU basketball stories from the previous week, and it keeps you up to date on your Hoosiers. We have over 8,000 of your fellow IU fans on the list, and we want you to be there too. So go to assemblycall.com or join.assemblycall.com to subscribe for free now. That's join.assemblycall.com. You can also text to IU for six. Two six six eight six six. That's IU to six six eight six six. Okay, I'm the coach Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with uh, Galen Clavio, the head of IU Sports Media Department and the author of Social Media and Sports, which is currently available in paper on Amazon for eighty dollars and eighty two cents. Uh, if you need some further study after after our conversation tonight, there's, a, there, there's an ebook version as well. I think that's cheaper. Feel free to buy that. Uh, so we, we like to support our, our our guests on the show here. Um, with with our announcements, but IU and social media, it, it's been the talk of this week. Uh, a lot of podcast talk. Uh, Jared had Jeremy Gray and Andrew Brown, the young man from the Cuban Center that produced the 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 video uh, about the free throw shooting um, tweets and all of that stuff. And it's just it's been a really um, interesting time from the 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 decision to move away from Archie Miller to the hiring of Scott Woodson to now what we're seeing behind the scenes is an emphasis of moving people inside the athletic department to take advantage uh, of, of some of the things that are available uh, through uh, media of today. Um, Galen, first of all, just your thoughts on the, uh, the anti-yoga tweet video, whatever it's being called, um, that was put out by Indiana men's basketball that uh, for those of you who have not seen it, which probably everyone – they had a yoga uh, tweet with some videos, and then someone sent some uh, criticizing um, tweets about, hey, why don't you go shoot free throws? You need to be in the gym. Don't do yoga, in essence. And then the IU men's basketball program 
um, kind of had a little bit of a troll back. I thought it was an excellent uh, attitude shift. We'll talk about the the behind the scenes there, but just your thoughts about the the tweet itself and maybe its its meaning, Galen. Well, the tweet was was obviously great. I mean, I, I I just retweeted it and said bravo when I saw it uh, because it was it was obviously just really well constructed. Uh, you know, from beginning to end, whether you know the all of the different elements in there, it, it was just as high quality as the other. Uh, tweets that we see out of Indiana men's basketball, out of IU football. I mean, the, the level of expertise, the level of quality in these social media messages that have come out of IU over the course of, of the last couple of years, really, have just been at a different level. And that one in particular, I think, was really important, not just because it was well done, not just because it was well received, but it really did mark, I think, a sea change in the way that IU has decided to approach things on social media and you know so much of what we end up with in terms of the 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 way that the basketball program interacts with its fans and the people that are on social media and just out there in general has been uh you know it's gradually shifted over the course of time and so when i think about that tweet the fact that it gets approved, the fact that it's out there, and it's just kind of, I mean, it's gotten talked about a bunch, so it's not exactly the normal run of business. But I think it will become the normal run of business, and that's exciting because so much of being successful on social media now is not just the facts. It's it's not just, um, oh, here's when we're playing, and here's, you know, here's the stat sheet. And, you know, it, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think this has always been the case, but I think now we're seeing IU – comfortable enough in its own skin as an athletic department and as a basketball program to really embrace that. And, and, and I think that's important. I, I've, I've been known and, and I got to kind of roll on this team of being the old man and, and, and clamoring for the old things, no Hoosier hysteria, more practice and, and less uh, um, videos and all that stuff. But um, I, I'll go on and correct myself, or at least I know why it's important. Uh, it, it's important to connect the fan base, especially the younger fan base, to what Indiana basketball really is. And it's really important for the basketball program to connect with possible recruits down the line and show what they mean. And so, yeah, my my um, my shtick on the show is to be that old codger clamoring for walking 20 miles one way in the snow and, and winning banners. Um, and, and I still am there. I'd rather see wins than, than videos. Uh, but it's a very, very important thing because uh, – when you run a basketball program as a head coach, you got to take the entire picture in. It's not just what offense you're deciding to do or defense and game night uh, adjustments. It's about setting the tone and putting your players in the best position to succeed. And we live, whether us old guys like it or not, we live in a social media world and you need to take advantage of it. And we hinted upon that in, in the first section about the name, image, and likeness. Uh, whether you like it, don't like it, agree or not, take advantage of it. If you have an advantage, good administration, good people in business, whatever, take advantage of things that are presented to them, whether it's old-fashioned or not. But um, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the yoga one, started doing a little bit of yoga too. They inspired me to to, to do a little bit of that. But social media is, is, is important, and you talked about that sea change. Um, and I'm going to take back Dane Fife in his in his media uh, conversation with the uh, said something about it used to be the fan base had a little insulation for the program. They would get mad when there was a loss, but they would show up and fill the corners of the balconies, and they would still root root and, and go forward. Um, and I felt that tweet was a little bit of hey, 
you can be mad at us for missing free throws, but we're shooting free throws, and, and we want you to be with us. Uh, and, and I and I thought that was a little, I thought that was funny, and but I thought it was that sea change of, we're we're gonna be back to wearing the candy stripes. We're going to be back to talking banners. We're going to be taught back to we're going to get good recruits and we're going to come compete for uh, championships again. And, and it might not be this year, but it's going to be soon, and, and we're coming. And I love that cocky confidence in an appropriate way. Uh, you know, it's funny because the the level of media presence that we've seen from IU since all of this happened, since Mike Woodson came in, since Dane Fife got hired, has been at another level. Like, it feels like, the program like stepped out from behind the curtain yeah. and was like, Hey, here we are. And that's much needed. Uh, and I think that um, I don't, I can't remember if it was Scott that said this on Crimson cast, or if this was Jared uh, when he was talking to Jeremy Gray on the podcast on assembly call, but this is a program that really needs a strong hand at the wheel. Who's able to tell them what's going on and, and tell them, things that, you know, straight up, because that is essentially what the program had under Bob Knight. It's essentially what fans of a certain age were weaned on. And frankly, fans that haven't been weaned on that have actually, I think I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for younger fans. Like if you, if you, you know, became a fan post night, you have had a, a very weak succession of leadership not just in you know the basketball program, but in terms of like the messaging overall about the basketball program and about most of the other sports. Like it's really only been in the last five to six years that we've started to see a more consistent, stronger, supportive, positive messaging coming out of people. And you know, look, the Dane Fife is right. You know, in the '90s, you know, I was in school '97 to '01. I was a contemporary of Dane's when. Um, you know, I mean, we weren't winning championships or going to the Sweet 16, but there was still an attitude that, well, coach knows what he's doing. This is still a top program. We're in a little bit of a lull, but things are going to get better. We haven't had that for 20 years. I mean, there's been a few individual moments of excellence, whether it was 02 or 12 or, or 13 or 16. That's like four years out of a 20-year span that you could point to as a fan and say, well, hey, this is this is great. This is, you know, this shows that we're a top program. The rest of the time, uh, you know, there's been a lot to criticize. There's been a lot to complain about. And so there, I think the, it's realistic that IU fans would react well to the kind of messaging that says, be proud to be a Hoosier. Uh, you know, don't let people talk crap about the program. It's going to take a little bit of adaptation to get used to. And I think there's still got to be results. And, the, you know, those results are ultimately going to decide how people feel about tweets like that, about Dane Fife going out and talking about, you know, there needs to be some fan insulation around the program. But I feel more confident now than I have at any point really in the last 20 years that that will happen because I feel like the right people are in place. There, There is a, you know, Mike Woodson's got this cool energy and demeanor about him he's this wonderful people person that just has turned on a bunch of people to his way of doing things you've got dane fife who's got this kind of um you know there's this almost cockiness as you mentioned this attitude that's that's always been around dane like you know even going back to when he was a player you could sense that with him and that, that's what you need like iu used to be duke or kentucky like they used to be in the 80s and early 90s that program and yeah, they haven't been that from a success standpoint for a long time, but there's no reason why they can't be again. 
And a lot of it is believing. I think if we can take anything from the Tom Allen experiment at IU football, like, you know, Allen has willed this program, has made this program and its players believe in itself, even when their talent level isn't appreciably different from what it was four or five years ago. Belief is such a key element of what you do in sports. And that extends over to the messaging because if you believe, your fans believe, and then everybody's a lot happier because you can lose a game here or there and you're still like, it's all right, we're going to be fine. Whereas, frankly, under Tom Crean, under Archie Miller, when the bottom started to fall out, everybody started pointing fingers. And I, I, I count myself in this as someone who's run a Twitter account and done a podcast and talked about IU sports for a decade. I've been critical. Um, I've felt like people you know, like the program doesn't know what it's doing and there's no direction and things like that. And I don't feel that way anymore. Uh, you know, so maybe that's hypocritical of me. I'm not sure, but I really feel like now that there is a, 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 you know, there are figures, not just one figure, but multiple figures in place that can lead and are willing to lead and understand the fabric of Indiana basketball. And you have an athletic department that is geared towards maximizing that feeling of belief, that emotion that people have about Indiana athletics, that's where magic can start to happen. And that's where I think this tweet, Kenya Hunter's tweet that Jared uh, talked to him about, like all of these things start to come together. And IU fans are like, yeah, we got a little bit of a, we got, we got some, we got some coolness going on with our program now, which just hasn't felt that way in a long time. Uh, I really like what you said about leadership and I'm going to, I'm going to take that to the choices of coaches um, and, and why Coach Woodson, in, in the month that I've had to really mull it over, is exactly the right guy to start bringing that swagger back. Um, go back to the replacement of Knight, and, and none of the coaches really uh, – again, respect to them. It's a hard job. I know that. But none of them had that toughness that you were talking about to, to be that voice, to be that uh, calming presence when needed to be calmed or that antagonizing presence if you needed to stir things up. Uh, Coach Knight was so great at, at doing all of that. And then we went to 20 years of people that the job just got to them, um, trying to win at that level. And to me, it, I, I said this before we got on the air, the hiring of Mike Woodson and this sea change has shown me what we really were missing. And from afar, you were wondering, was it the strategy? Was it the recruiting? No, what it was missing is that strong leadership. And, and when you talk about social media, it could be, you know, the, the Cuban center is great, but if you don't have a guy who's comfortable with allowing the cameras, with allowing conversations with your director of basketball operations or whoever does the meeting with the, with the young producers and all of that, if you're not comfortable in opening up and one of the biggest things, for me, Galen, in, in this really big change is Mike Woodson's just a cool dude. He's confident in who he is. He doesn't buy into what anyone's saying about his experience at the college level. He doesn't mind bringing in Dane Fife, who wanted the job. He doesn't mind Thad Mata, who's got a big record. He wants Indiana to win again, and he's willing to make this change. As a 63-year-old coach, willing to allow people to to film and be inside what, what he's doing is, is really – awesome um but it it does when you go back now and analyze the leadership from mike davis um just really couldn't handle it Uh, samson could handle it but chose to do some things that were questionable and and got in trouble and then tom crean as it's seen he's struggling now in georgia and archie miller was just a quiet ball coach he just wanted to coach basketball and the indiana job's more than just basketball and i think we get someone who does it and that allows the social media which is prevalent in this time to really shine because you got to have that strong leadership. Uh, 
it's a multifaceted thing. And I think you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, you know, IU, since Knight got fired, and, and look, if we're being honest, even in the last five or six years of Knight's tenure, treated the basketball program like a much smaller program than it could be. Uh, you know, you look at the organizational structure that surrounds the really big programs in college basketball. You know, and I'm not talking about just Kentucky here, but I'm talking about the North Carolinas, the Kansases. Um, that's the level that Indiana should be at in terms of the way that the program is considered, the way that it's run, the financing around it. And yet, you know, the you have to keep in mind, Bob Knight gets fired. Miles Brand decides that he's going to use this as a platform to try to get an Ivy League presidency. So he names a very underqualified coach at the time in Mike Davis, who was not ready for the job. He's admitted that himself, who I think did the best he knew how to do. But it it created a lot of problems in terms of people's internal perceptions of Indiana basketball as fans. Like it no longer felt like a program that was looking at you from above. It felt like a program that was down in the mix with everybody else. And as you mentioned, you have a succession of coaches who are trying to build their own programs almost to the exclusion of the history of Indiana basketball. And it feels like to a large degree, Indiana spent 20 or so years running from its own shadow with basketball. And you know, I think what makes Woodson at this point such a good hire is that he fully embraces it, but he's not beholden to this particular pattern of doing things that Bob Knight had set down. And to some degree, I think, you know, Knight not really being in shape or condition to come in and like, you know, kind of hang like a gray eminence over the program probably helps because Woodson has a free hand working with Scott Dolson. Uh, working with Jeremy Gray, we're working with the people on the on the marketing side and the promotion side to say, all right, well, how do we make this happen? You know, you, if you haven't listened to the interview with Jeremy, I would highly recommend doing so because it really does outline what Scott Dolson was trying to do from the get go and why that's important. Um, and, and it extends beyond just the so the social media aspects, but that's a really important part, and it does require buy in, as you mentioned, from the coaching staff. It does require having players tell the story. You know, I thought that was a really insightful right. part about what Jeremy was talking about, where you know, the, the players are the greatest ambassadors that you can have. And yet, a lot of times you get coaches for, for a variety of reasons. Some of it's old school thinking. Some of it's a concern about being overshadowed by players in your program. They, they don't want to yield the limelight. They don't want players being more popular than they are. And so you shy away from having players you know, going on social media talking. And there's also this kind of parochial attitude about not letting college students have reign there. But this is this is the era of the young person in media capitalizing on their popularity. And it, it takes, I think, someone like Mike Woodson, who's coached for years in the NBA, who understands the importance of player empowerment as part of the ecosystem of college basketball, of basketball in general, to be able to put something like this into motion. And, and someone like Dane Fife, frankly, who has been in a program that has a strong central figure, but has managed to stay modern in, in a way that, frankly, Indiana didn't. And so, you know, there's a lot of really cool things happening simultaneously with IU basketball that have also happened with IU football. It's a very different set of circumstances with football, but it's cool to see all this stuff coming together because at the end of the day, it helps to give IU fans pride in being IU fans. And it feels like ages where you could just be happily an IU fan and not feel just this twinge of 
imposter syndrome about, you know, being in the conversation at the highest levels of college sports. And so it's really cool for me to see that. You know, you know, the, the coaches, um, all have some things in common and we probably should do a show about, uh, who's leading the, the programs, but you know, Tom Allen is comfortable in his skin, uh, and who he, who he is. And you need that in order to take the criticism and take the heat and, and the stress and still go forward. That's, that's one of Tom Allen's biggest strengths. And I see that in coach Woodson, you know, coach Yeagley is getting it done in, in soccer, coach Mercer, coach Morin. Um, they all have that. When you watch them, they all have that. I call it smooth. You know, it's just, they're smooth. They're comfortable in what they're doing, which then takes, allows, uh, social media to be used, and it's not a threat to them uh, as a leader. Uh, if if that's the new thing, if in five years there's something else, and these uh, leaders are leading our programs, they're likely to adapt to that. Why? Because they care about their athletes, they care about the program, and they want to win. Uh, and, and it's now getting to be a consistent in in, in Indiana athletics, uh, and, and that that's just exciting. It is, and and look, this is I, we often talk about the '80s as kind of the golden era of IU sports because you had. You had Knight, you had Mallory, you had Jerry Yeagley, you had, uh, you know, just this long list of, of top level coaches and programs that were really at, at their apex or close to it. We're kind of close to that now with IU athletics. I mean, you know, and we'll see the, the jury's out on Mike Woodson and his staff. We'll see what they do. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but Tom Allen's already the the second most successful coach, I think you could say, in IU history. Um, uh, in just in terms of raw results, you know, you could certainly make an argument for Bo McMillan and where he would land in the, in the big scheme of things. Uh, Todd Yeagley, uh, you know, it, it's a different era, but what he's been able to do over the course of time is pretty impressive. Um, you mentioned Mercer, Ray Luz with swimming. I mean, there's so many top level coaches at IU and programs that are either in the top 20 or sniffing the top 20 in their respective sports that. You know, this is the time to capitalize on being an IU fan or be or being at IU in media if you're trying to push things forward. And so, look, it's a sea change. It's it's a it's a departmental alteration of the way that things have been done. And you go back 15 years ago, I think it's important to talk about and keep in mind how far IU athletics has progressed in terms of messaging, in terms of of marketing, in terms of just the way that it conducts itself publicly versus what it was in like 2005, where the department was largely in shambles. It was, it had not been managed well. You know, you'd had that whole uh, Michael McNeely fiasco that had happened. And, you know, you went 18 years without a, or 18 months without a permanent athletic director. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened during that time period that, that essentially left a blank slate for Fred Glass and Glass. While I know he gets criticized by some folks in various circles did so much to set the wheels in motion across the board to get IU to where the, they're at now, where they can suddenly start capitalizing on things. It, it took that long to get IU back to being a truly modern athletic department. Now it's there. And so, you know, all of these things that have happened across the board, getting football up and running is something I don't think any of us thought in our lifetimes was going to happen. You can get men's basketball up and running. And, you know, now suddenly you're up in the stratosphere again. Um, it's really I'm I'm excited about all of that. So so let me ask you about the the person who's heading this athletic to program this modern uh, athletic to program. 
athletic program, Scott Dolson, uh, and we're hearing a lot about his vision. That has not been made public anywhere, has it? Uh, his statement that he's put down, I, I kind of like that. Sometimes in organizations you can have a vision. But I, I really believe that when you have a vision, I talk about this all the time in education and don't even want to go there right now, but if you have a vision and all of your decisions are back towards that vision, then you're going to have a better chance of being successful rather than just shotgunning things left and right based on, on a whim. Uh, it just really seems to me like Scott's really got this headed in the right direction, and, and you got to let things play out, and we can't just jump to conclusions based on one month's uh, activity. But you mentioned modern athletic department, and and then Scott Dolson has a vision and goes out and hires uh, Mike uh, Woodson, and Woodson puts together his staff, and all of a sudden things are rolling. Uh, your thoughts on, on Scott Dolson's performance here in the last month and, and this idea of a vision and, and how it's playing out? Because to me, it's just it's awesome, and, and it, it's just been a really good run um, here in the last month. No, I think he's done an awesome job, I and it's, it's an 18-month thing. It's, it's something that we've seen since he took over. And I think from the standpoint of just the basketball program and the way that that plan has started to pan out, the vision to say, okay, we're we're going to get a guy who's he's got the chops to coach. Uh, might not be the first name on people's list because he hasn't coached in college, but we're going to bring that guy in as the head of our program. But we're also going to bring in Thad Mata. We're also going to bring in Dane Fife. We're also going to bring we're going to bring in all of these. I mean, they've got uh, consultants and people coming in from all over the place, and it's like there is a, a, a to me a realization on the part of Dolson from an operations perspective that what has happened thus far with IU basketball the last 10, 15 years has just not worked. Uh, it, it hasn't gotten IU where it needs to. And that's not a criticism of Fred Glass because I think Fred Glass in, in the hire that he made did what you would have done in his spot. And, you know, the even the hire of Tom Crean was not a bad higher per se. It looked good on paper. It didn't pan out long-term. That happens sometimes. But Dolson is approaching things from a different perspective. And I think across the board, you can look at that. You can look at the amount of resources that he has agreed to pour into football, making Tom Allen a higher paid coach than the basketball coach. Like who would have ever thought that the day would come when IU would pay their football coach more? But you know, Dolson sees the long-term investment there. It's like if you can get football firing on on all cylinders for a long period of time, if you can make Tom Allen feel like you don't need to go anywhere else because we'll take care of you here financially, we'll give you whatever resources you need for your staff, um, that, you know, that, that, that takes that off the table and now suddenly you've got a coach who's just like, Indiana's my home. This is where I want to be. Um, that attitude pervades, from my perspective, so much of what the athletic department does under Dolson. And again, I think it started under glass and glass did a lot of really good things, but Dolson has such an innate understanding of the inner workings of IU athletics, of the donor structure, having been, you know, such a key figure in, in raising money over the course of time. And also having been associated with the basketball program as a student, you know, having been a manager uh, you know, having roomed with players. I mean, like, like all of these things matter. These life lessons, uh, they do add up. And I know there were people that weren't excited about Dolson. They looked at him as the internal candidate. They thought there were more attractive candidates elsewhere. And and certainly we didn't know. Nobody could have necessarily outside predicted this. But 
Um, some people just have great vision about what needs to be done, and it doesn't always come from the place that you would expect it to. And much like Woodson, uh, you know, being like the perfect uh, candidate over the course of the first month or so because of his background with IU, but also his willingness, to, you know, to bring in new ideas. I think you can look at the same thing with Dolson, where I think an external candidate or someone who hasn't been here as long as him. Uh, maybe they don't bring that same mixture of new ideas and understanding of what the IU way is and what the culture should be. Um, so I'm very happy with it so far. Nothing's perfect, but I think it's exciting to see where it might go. Uh, so I think this question's probably really bad, but I'm going to ask it anyway because it's really bad because I don't know that we know the answer, but what's next in the line of social media? Uh, and I know that it's changing forever with technology, another app, another thing that takes hold with young people or whatever else. And it's so ever-changing and fast-changing uh, area. But, but, but what's next? What does Indiana men's basketball do next, maybe? Or, or where is social media headed? Uh, and again, I don't know that that's really a good question. And, and there's enough time to fully address it. But, you know, it's a great start. A lot of us are being open now to it. Uh, what's the next step? I think the next step is is probably a little mundane in most people's eyes, but I think it's incredibly important, which is on social media, you cannot let the inmates run the asylum. Like and We've all been on Twitter. We've all been on Facebook or on message boards. And when you let people just post whatever they want with no counter, with, with, no, with no alternate, you know, hey, here's what we're thinking, uh, you allow the 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 contrary opinions to become the majority opinion because there's nothing to counter them and I think for IU if I took anything out of that tweet uh, it is we're going to stand up for ourselves on social media from this point forward we're going to say to 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 the people you should be proud of being an IU fan uh, it's okay to be critical if we're not playing well but it's not okay to uh, to, to cut the program down or to act in a belligerent manner or to act like we don't know what we're doing because we do. And a lot of that, again, is being proactive as opposed to being reactive or even worse, um, trying to be, you know, so bland and inoffensive that you don't, you know, leave any sort of an impression. It's something that I, in my career as a researcher, as someone who's, you know, consulted with teams on social media in the past, uh, you know, there, one of the reasons I wrote the book was, the idea that you would just be this passive conveyor of information, you would be this brand that doesn't really have a soul. You were just, you're just passing things along and you're not going to have any sort of personality. To me, that is a, a terrible way to conduct yourself in a social media environment because it doesn't do anything. Uh, it, it, it does very little for you positive. And generally speaking, you just turn into a punching bag when things are going bad. And we've all, you know, if you've watched, you watched any of the live streams of like the Archie Miller coaching show uh, on Facebook. I mean, you have to turn the comments off because it just is brutal. And, you know, I think for IU, whether it's football or whether it's basketball or anything else, you have to have a strong presence. You have to have your players be ambassadors uh, when they feel like doing so. And I think that's the next step is that level of consistency. And maybe it's not direct responses to people, but it's, Tweets like we saw, like, you know, the uh, the yoga-related tweet where it's like, yeah, you know, you people actually don't know what you're talking about, and so here's some evidence as to why. And you do it in a fun manner, but it's a nice reminder that um, just because you're posting something doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. And I love it. Like, to me, it's what I preached for years, 
and no one ever listened to me. I got told I was I was a fool about it. And it's not I didn't consult with them. They came up with this on all on their own. But it's heartening that someone else came to the same conclusion. Yeah. And it just happens to be at the place that I work and, and the, the teams that I root for. That, that's that's uh, great stuff, Galen. Thank you. Maybe it wasn't such a bad question. Uh, coming up in our third segment, we'll do some s- subscriber shout-outs, answer your questions. So stick around with us here on The Assembly Call. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and... (laughs) I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with Geico, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. We could all use a real vacation right about now. Lucky for us, Princess Cruises has a port right here in SF. Starting at $99 per day, Princess can take you to the beaches of Mexico, the tropics of Hawaii, the glaciers of Alaska, or along the California coast. That's right, just $99 per day. Set sail with California's cruise line. Call 1-800-PRINCESS, visit princess.com, or contact your travel advisor today. Terms and restrictions apply. Promotional pricing ends November 30th, 2021. Ships are Bermuda and British Registry. Before booking, consult the CDC website at www.cdc.gov. Pop quiz. What's 80% air, soft where you want it, firm where you need it, made in a lab, and breathes? The Gelflex grid. And only purple mattresses have it. It's a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. Purple mattresses cradle, support, and soothe, giving you the best night's sleep ever. And right now, get a free set of sheets and a pillow with the purchase of select purple mattresses at purple.com slash sleep in. Terms apply. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Welcome back, everybody. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with our guest, Galen Clavio. And Jared Morris now joins us for segment three, your questions and some subscriber uh, shout-outs. And, uh, Jared, it's uh, good to have you. And It's all yours. Is that is that new music? Did we just debut new music from the great Bob Thompson here on the Assembly Call? Absolutely. I think we did. And by the way, stick around for those of you who are excited about AC After Dark. Bob Thompson will be here. His first appearance. He's going to do his uh, his chat mob induction uh, tonight. Which Galen, you know, it's perfect as we heard your music earlier today. It's really perfect to have him on when uh, you're on talking music. Sounds like. Sounds like a battle of the bands waiting to happen. (laughs) Okay, so this is the point in the show where we do our subscriber shout-outs. And we have an email list. We hope that you'll join it. I think Coach told you about that earlier tonight, join.assemblycall.com. But we have this ambassador program where current subscribers recommend the email list to other subscribers. And if you do that, and if you refer a new subscriber, you get a subscriber shout-out. So we're working through some of these. We have a bunch of them to do. Uh, So we're rolling through a couple of them each show. But our first subscriber shout out this week comes to us from Bloomfield, Indiana, and it is Jesse Rhodes. And Jesse's favorite Hoosier is Yogi Ferrell, who, by the way, did you guys talk about Yogi 
getting picked up, we getting a full not. contract with the, with the L.A. Clippers. So Yogi had a 10-day contract about two weeks ago. What did every single IU fan on Twitter say when Yogi got his 10-day contract? He's going to kill it. They're going to end up signing him because it's Yogi, and no one dominates a 10-day contract like Yogi Ferrell. He did it. The Los Angeles Clippers signed him. I was texting with his mom earlier tonight congratulating her. We're so proud of you, Yogi. Uh, it's awesome to see him with the Clippers, but that's Jesse's favorite Hoosier. Uh, for his assembly call leader, Coach, Jesse chose you. Uh, but then after that, he kind of spread the love around. He said, quote, my breakdown of each of the four members is this. At times, I think Jared is too positive and Ryan is too negative. But Coach and Andy are usually well-balanced. But that is what makes this show the best around. By the way, I love Ryan's rants. All right. If that's your if that's your speed, I guess. Uh, you, each have, <laughs> you each have your niche on the show, and I love it. Don't change. And for his special acknowledgement, Jesse continued to shower us with praise and went a step further. He said, thanks for all your hard work and prepping for these shows. I've learned a lot about the game through the shows. I also enjoy when you have special guests on, especially Galen and Scott. Keep up the great work. So look at that, Galen. You're getting a shout out here on the show. I, I Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm touched. Very cool. Thank you for that, Jesse. And our second subscriber shout out comes to us from the great Sammy Jacobs, the founder of Hoosier Huddle, a website and podcast that you all should definitely be reading and listening to. Sammy is from Indianapolis. His favorite Hoosier is DJ White. And his assembly call leader is also coach. Or is it? Sammy said, I want to say coach, but his head is already big enough. You all are great, but only one host has had the cops called on them during a tailgate with me. So, Brian... So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to so, dial back my tailgating. I'm I'm at an age where I need. Wait, what did you do? I'm, I'm, I didn't I didn't know this. What happened? Well, Sammy would always stop by before he would go do his media work, and we just get in arguments about the football program. And he started walking towards uh, towards the football field, and we kept shouting back and forth and you know it's just two guys bantering good friends bantering and talking trash well someone in the mobile home heard us and as we got louder they called the cops and about 20 minutes later there was an unmarked car parked right outside my tailgate watching us for about 20 minutes thinking like something was going to go down uh and it was just Uh, sammy and i having a good honest well argument so, yeah, I had cops <laughs> called on me at the tailgate. And we hadn't even started partying yet. It was like breakfast and, and coffee. What the happened? cops really what should happened? have been there for the Michigan game. They no, really they came uh, for the wrong game. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Broadcasting from Pendleton, Indiana. Exactly. It's good to Sony. Exactly. <laughs> that, I'm trying uh, to erase that for- from my memory. <laughs> Uh, for his special acknowledgement, Sammy says, you guys do a really good job. And of course we agree, Sammy, right back at you. Uh, make sure if you're listening to this, which of course you are, if you're hearing these words, go to hoosierhuddle.com, read their blog, listen to their podcast. They do great work. Thank you, Sammy and Jesse. We appreciate the, uh, the shout outs over to you coach. For All right. Mailbag. It's uh, it's time for our mailbag. I said at the beginning of the show, we're getting some really great interaction in the community. And, and if you're not a part of the community, uh, please Please join us there, and we just appreciate uh, that you can join us uh, at assemblycall.com backslash community. Uh, again, it, it's really good to have these kind of questions, so uh, let's get started right away. Erwin um, says, why did Mike Roberts leave IU to become an assistant basketball coach at the University of Cincinnati? Jared, can you answer that uh, real quickly? Because he wants to be a head coach, and Cincinnati offered him the ability to be a full-time assistant for the head coach that he used to work with at UNCG. So 
it was basically a no brainer. Like he was at Indiana. And I think he was happy to continue to help out at Indiana as long as there wasn't a full time assistant position for him to take. But it's it's just it's like, Jared, why on earth did your dad go from Indiana to Purdue? Well, because they were going to make him the defensive coordinator. You know, it's like you got to go. It's, it's your career. You got to take the steps in your career. So it was an obvious move for Mike to make. We wish him well. It was awesome having him at IU. But that's where that's where he needs to be because it's the best next step for him. And once you're a coach and if you step off um, into a position that's not on the court and doing things, that's that's just a, a big adjustment. And that's not who you are unless you want to make that move for a career move. I think uh, Mike wanted to be a coach and, and to get back on the court and doing those things. So we wish uh, Mike well. This is to both of you. Uh, this question's from Mike. Uh, which current player do you think we will see the most improvement from last season? So uh, excluding the the transfers and the, and the freshmen coming in, who do you think – We'll see the most improvement, Galen, uh, next season. Well, um, not feeling at all on the spot here with this question. Uh, I, I'm going to say, uh, looking at the looking at the full. You know what? I'm going to say Rob Finnessy. Uh, I think he's got the the highest ceiling of improvement based upon what we've seen the last couple of years in terms of, as we talked about earlier, low confidence levels and just an offense that didn't really fit what he was doing. I feel like there's a, as much as we've heard him talked about already by Dane Fife, who's, who hasn't coached him at all yet officially uh, for, for him to talk about fantasy in the way that he has and, and how good of a the defensive player he is. And, and I think the need that IU is going to have for multiple players in the backcourt who know what they're doing can handle the ball. Uh, I think we could see a huge leap out of Rob fantasy next year. Jared. My first instinct was to say Trace Jackson Davis because I think he's going to I think he's really going to flourish in this new system. And I think he wouldn't have come back to Indiana if he weren't determined to really make the best use of this year and really expand his game and do some more things. So I, I think he's going to make a huge leap, but I think you know, if we're really you know, going for, you know, really keeping in the integrity of the question with who will see the most improvement from last season, I think it's going to be Christian Lander. Because I think he's got the farthest to go because he struggled so much last year. His talent is so great. And I think when you combine his talent with a full offseason, another year of physical development, a system that's more conducive to his skills, and a year to just adjust to the speed of the game, I think he's going to – I mean, last year he had a little stretch there in the middle of the season where he was productive and the team functioned better with him on the court. Outside of that, it was a whole lot of struggle. And so I think this year we're going to see a lot more. I don't think he'll be starting, but I think he's going to be a really good energy guy, offense guy off the bench. And so I think the difference between his first year and this year is going to be like night and day. So I think that'll end up being um, the biggest jump, but I think the most consequential improvement will be traces, if I can parse words a little bit. Uh, I, I think you're both right. The point guard position needs improvement overall for the basketball program, the ability to score at the rim, drive, get people, and a pace of play. So I look at both of those point guards uh, as really improving just from those differences. I think the person who needs to improve the most, and, and it's hard for me to say this because I have a lot of respect, is, is Race Thompson. He's going to have to be able to shoot in order to get minutes as the stretch four if they really want to spread the floor and play a different type of offense. He's going to have to be able to really improve that shot and his shot confidence um so so uh we, we we touched on four four of the you know seven or so uh, coming back let's just say all of them better improve we we, we need wins <laughs> and to keep this good vibe going uh next question comes from david how does a shot doctor 
quote, uh, shot doctor, go about improving a player's in-game shooting efficiency. Um, and, and somewhat related, successful teams in the NCAA tourney seem to have a player who can make reasonably contested shots. Is that a teachable skill? That's that closer position that I, I talk a, a lot about. Um, Jared, your thoughts about uh, what, what can a shot doctor do to make the ball go in on game night? Uh, Let me just jump in real quick. No, no. Ryan, he he asked the question to me. Thank you. Um, You know, I I think so. I think there are I think there are really three things that a shot doctor can do. One, I think, is you have to be a bit of a psychologist. You've got to understand the play because shooting is so much of its confidence. You know, we talked with Steve Green this week inside of the community and talk to them about shooting. You know what? You know, and I asked him if you could be Indiana shot doctor, what would be the number one thing you would do? He was like, you got to build these guys confidence. So I think the number one thing you have to do is be able to build a relationship with a guy, understand what makes him tick, and help him rebuild his confidence. Then I think you would want to pick out maybe one or two technical, fundamental type things that you can help him improve. I don't think you want to redo everything because the guy's been shooting a certain way for a long time. Maybe in an offseason, you try and rebuild an entire shot, but maybe there's one or two things that he can key on, like whether, like with Christian Lander, you know, get your feet facing the basket. You know, Jerome Hunter, make sure that you you go up vertical and land in the same place where you jump. You know, there's certain things for each guy that you can see when he's not shooting well slips and you can help him work on that. And then I think the third thing is be the guy who's there at 11 p.m. to shoot with him if he wants to shoot, you know, or at two o'clock in the morning because you just have to get reps up. So I think those three things, if you're really going to be a shot doctor, psychology, that one critical tweak that you know really kind of offers you the most leverage on that particular guy's shot and then just be in there with him to get the reps to work on it help him build his confidence and help him you know kind of stick the landing so to speak make sure that he's making that fundamental change i think that that's how you help a guy become a better shooter Jared, from a coach's perspective, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, you. You don't want to be so technical that someone's thinking because when you think, you don't shoot well. And, and on game night, you have to have that freedom. We've talked a little bit about opening up an offense and, and, and just going and playing. And sometimes coaches, we have a tendency to be uh, too much of a, a thumb down pressure, do it exactly how I want you to, which leads to thinking. And, and when it comes to shooting you you and being a closer, that, that contested shot guy – you can help put people in position, but the, the player's got to be able to, like, when I shoot, this ball's going in. And, and if I go one for 11, the next night I'm going to go 10 for 11. It's a mentality, so that's where that, that psychology stuff comes in. Galen, we're going to come to you for this one. This is from my son, Brent, who joined the community. Glad to have him in the community. And, and, and for everyone, don't pay too much attention. He, he's not as, as good as his dad uh, at thinking basketball. Um, but he asked a really good question, Galen, and it's it's ultimately the one that's going to be answered here after the glow of all, everything that's going on, is what should a, a fan's realistic expectations be for year one of the Woodson era? And we really don't know until we, we start seeing the play. Uh, right now, everyone is uh, is just fantastically happy, but what, what, what should we realistically uh, expect, in your opinion? Well, I think the schedule is going to make some kind of a, you know, an impact on whatever the actual answer is. But look, I think the if you're a fan and you're looking at all of this, I think it's reasonable to expect 20 wins right now because I think that and and I'm not saying that that's the max. I'm saying I, I think as a kind of a mid-level expectation if if you have some things go right and go wrong, there's going to be some growing pains. You've got players playing a new system on both offense and defense. You've got new players coming in. 
uh, you know, some teams mesh very quickly and and are great right out of the gate. Some of them take a long time to develop. Uh, you know, but I think somewhere in that twenty and nine range in terms of overall record, twenty and ten, somewhere somewhere along those lines. You know, around five hundred, maybe better in conference. I think those are reasonable expectations. I think you could certainly see Indiana do better than that, but I'm also cautious about getting too hyped because it is a program that still has to demonstrate that it can do things on the floor, uh, that this, these players can play together in a system that is successful both on the offensive and defensive sides. Uh, you know, we, we don't know who the point guard is going to be. We assume it's Xavier Johnson. We don't know. Uh, you know, we assume that Trace Jackson Davis is going to fit in this new offense and that things are going to flow around him particularly well, but we don't know. And we assume that Mike Woodson is going to be able to make a transition from the NBA to college in terms of thinking about coaching the game and putting people in the right places. So, um, you know, I'm expecting some highs. Uh, I do think they'll beat Purdue at least once. So, you know, go ahead and mark that down. Uh, and I think they'll win in the 20 game range. I think anything beyond that is kind of gravy for the first year. Uh, but that would be what if you want to keep like guard your heart a little bit, but still have some optimism. I think that would be a great season. That would be the best season that I use had in half a decade. Uh, so I would be perfect. I'll just sign me up for that right now. If I could get like 20 wins and a seven seed, like just like just transport me to next March. I'd be fine with that. Jared, uh, your your expectations where you're at right now, Mr. Positive. It's similar. Well, look, I think no, no, I think this team has real potential. Like, I think if and, you know, Galen, listening to you and Scott, you, you know, Scott made a good point, which is that a lot of times in the offseason, we talk ourselves into the idealized version of every player. And when you do that, you know, your mind runs wild with the possibilities. And that's what the offseason's for. This is, you know, every every Indiana football preview podcast until the last <laughs> two years has been. Yes. This. We're, yes. We're, we're always somehow eight and four in our minds. <laughs> Before the inevitable five and seven happens. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, and you know, look, and we've you know we've made that mistake with the team, and I think we were were pretty cautious with the team this year, and that caution you know ended up proving correct. So I think what is realistic and kind of reasonable, I think what Galen laid out is pretty much where I'm at. You know, 20 wins, you get back to the NCAA tournament, your upper half of the Big Ten. You know, you beat your rival at least once. You know, that is that's a solid baseline. You know, for for a first season. I think the potential for this team is high. Like I don't, I don't think it's crazy. If you told me I think this Indiana team is going to win the Big Ten, I'd say, hmm, I don't think it's crazy. And we can get to the reason why with the next question. But I think that it, I think it'd be a little crazy to expect that. But I think the ceiling, because of the talent that they have in, and if everything kind of goes right, I, I don't have to squint too hard to actually see that happening in what, how the Big Ten is shaping up to be this year. But what's reasonable, I think what Galen laid out is what's reasonable. But I think if I had to bet, I think the team will end up closer to its ceiling than closer to its floor. Here, here's my expectations. One, I, I'm with you guys. Get to the tournament. Get to the tournament. Be in the upper half of the Big Ten. Uh, but more so than that, it's how you play. Uh, I'm tired of the droughts. I'm tired of the mental, oh, we had a bad run, and now it's going to be a seven-point game, but it turns into a 19-point game. I'm I'm ready for a team that doesn't just shoot the ball and score 90 points but loses 96 to 90. Or the team that guards, uh, like maybe some of Archie teams guarded somewhat and got beat 61 to 50. Um, a more competitive, balanced approach that plays like the messaging has been for the last month that we're a little confident 
and, and if the other team happens to score a few more points, then we just shake their hand and then we get ready to kick someone's ass the next time. Um, it, we got to get back to that blue blood. You're coming into our house and we're going to make you pay, not hoping to win. Like I, I got to games where I was just hoping we could win so it would be somewhat of an enjoyable post-game show and not enjoying basketball. And I think you can even enjoy basketball in losses if the play is done correctly, if, the, if, if, if you don't worry about the mental fatigue of the players and all this stuff that has been in the program. So I'm looking at a, my expectation, reasonable, is, hey, we're just playing good competitive basketball, and if the talent is improved and the coaching moves quickly to mesh, then, yes, we can move up from that 6-7 Big Ten uh, maybe and get a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. But let's get to that tournament um, so forth. So uh, elbows in, says Mike DeCourcy, touched on this a bit last week. What do you think Woody has done to recognize the deficiencies from last year and correct them before uh, May? Jared, um, your thoughts on on what uh, and how Coach Woodson is going to evaluate or what he has been doing um, to evaluate where the team needs to go. So this is where the source of my optimism comes from. Because last year was not a good year. The coach got fired. The team went 12 and 15. You know, we know all what happened last year. But I think we all agree that that team wasn't that far away. Like they were a few critical pieces away from being a good team because they had, there's some good players in place that we all are putting some belief in this year. But the things that they were missing were critical. What were they missing? Well, kind of an alpha distributor at the point that can attack and has the confidence that you need, right? You know, think about what you saw with Baylor in the NCAA tournament with Davion Mitchell, right? You kind of need a guy like that that is kind of your energy guy offensively. We needed shooters on the wings. We didn't have much of that. We needed some guys who, when things weren't going right, could just go get a shot in the half court. We needed someone who could play the stretch four, and we needed some guys who played with emotion on the court because the team flatlined so often. Every single thing that I just mentioned, they have addressed with either an incoming recruit or a guy from the transfer portal. Xavier Johnson gives you kind of that alpha distributor at the point. He's an emotional guy. He can create offense. You know, Tamar Bates is a guy who can create offense and who can shoot. Miller Kopp is a guy who theoretically could play the stretch four in smaller lineups, but also is, you know, a shooter on the wing and also a guy who plays with emotion on the court. So those five glaring things that we didn't have last year, they were able to pinpoint those and bring in guys that address those specific needs. Now, there's 13 guys on the roster. It's going to be difficult to kind of divvy up playing time, and only five guys can play at once. So there's still that whole challenge. But I just I look at last year and what the deficiencies were, and they've plugged some of those holes. And so if those guys come, you know, Parker Stewart, if he ends up being the shooter that we think, you know, now you start to to kind of look at, you know, okay, what is a, what is a, a lineup of Xavier Johnson, Tamar Bates, Parker Stewart, Miller Cop, and Trace Jackson Davis look like? Boy, it certainly seems like it fills a lot of the holes that we didn't have last year. Now, how are those guys going to function together? I have no idea. But you start to see, hey, if this thing does go well, that's why I think the ceiling of the team is Big Ten title. Don't know if they'll get there because basketball teams are tricky and chemistry is a weird thing. And, you know, it's Coach Woodson's first year coaching college basketball, all that stuff. But I'm really impressed with how they figured out in short order what the problems were and brought in players who have demonstrated that they can fill those needs. Galen? I think it's simpler than all of that. I think everything Jared said makes a lot of sense. I just think Mike Woodson needs to spend the offseason getting these players to believe in themselves and believe in in the team. I really don't – I mean, I've been on this track for probably since January, maybe even earlier than that, where this team just seems to suffer from a crisis of confidence, uh, a lack of fun, 
a lack of feeling like there was any point to what they were doing. Everything looked perfunctory. Everything looked like it was just playing out the string. And it didn't mean that they didn't win some games. And the games where things were rolling, the Minnesota game at home being a great example, it was like, where the hell has that been? Uh, you know, and, uh, and then it would go away just as quickly. And so similar to Tom Allen, it took a couple of years for Tom Allen, I think, to get to this point. And it took some heavy recruiting to fill the gaps that were there from Wilson's last couple of years. Uh, I think 75% of it is getting the players that are already on the roster to believe in what they're doing, to believe in what Mike Woodson's telling them to do, and to not be afraid when they're on the floor, not be afraid of mistakes, not be afraid of putting a shot up. Um, you know. And then certainly, I think bringing in Tamar Bates and Miller Kopp and Xavier Johnson, that's important because you got to bring in players that can execute and have a certain level of talent and skill, but there's a lot of talent and skill already on the team. So if you can get that group believing in themselves, it kind of goes back to what Jared was talking about with the shot doctor. Like most of that, it's like putting. Most of it's mental. Everybody knows the mechanics, but it's that – you know, the, the, the synapses firing in the right order so that you're not putting a hitch in the putt or you're not, you know, doing something with the shot that's causing it to not go in. It's the same across the board with the basketball team. And if Mike Woodson can get this group believing in what it's doing, I don't know that it needs to do a whole lot else. I like everything Fair. about that. <laughs> I like everything about that. Man, you had Coach Woodson say that <laughs> twice, Galen. You're, you're just really uh, on top of everything. From a coach's perspective you just keep analyzing your team you, you watch a lot of film uh to see what their strengths and weaknesses were last year and how it fits into your philosophy you watch workouts when you're allowed to whatever the NCA allows you to do you, you it's always better to see them in person and you constantly think where can you put these people both mentally and physically in places that they can succeed and that's what coach Woodson seems to have done already um or early on uh, and, and it seems to be working, and he's still got a lot of work in order to to make it happen in November and December, and in in big time play. So that's it. We're done. No more questions. So b- before we move on, uh, we still have a ton of questions, but um, we'll answer those either in the community. Jerry and I will get in there and answer them in the community. I may type up something to answer those questions, or maybe even do a coach's corner just to answer uh, their question. There's some basketball related things about the pack line and and defensive philosophy that that maybe I'll guide me in the next one. But we have we have Bob Thompson to 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 get to and and move on. Um, so we're we're gonna uh, end the regular podcast and, and head to. Um, uh, assembly call after dark and so uh, this week's episode is, is going to come to an end I thank Galen for joining us uh, if you want to see us do the show live join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording special thanks to Bob Thompson who you'll see shortly for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show and thank you for listening we'll talk to you again next week or sooner if any news breaks until then keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. You might get beat today, but each day you got to get better. Here I come, Coach Fife. (laughs) You're the kind of person who makes a difference at work. So why not work on something that makes a difference? At Zooks, we're looking for collaborative, inquisitive people who can help us achieve our mission. Safer, cleaner, more enjoyable mobility for everyone. Come build the future at Zooks. Find out more at zoox.com slash careers. 
At California's Great America, it's never too early to start thinking about next year's fun. That's why we're offering the lowest price of the year on a 2022 Gold Pass right now. That includes unlimited visits this year, so you can enjoy the Great Pumpkin Fest, Haunt, and Winterfest. Then unlimited visits next year to try new foods, enjoy festivals like Taste of Orleans, scream on our world-class coasters, and splash away at South Bay Shores Water Park, all for just $82 plus applicable taxes and fees. Hurry, offer ends October 31st, so get your Gold Pass now at cagreatamerica.com. It's amazing in here <laughs> uh, i'm gonna get paid by the drop that is what my agent is negotiating i have a mad crush on dane fife <laughs> man coach fife don't don't be listening to this i don't have to buy you dinner or anything i'm just a measly high school guy coach fife would love this this would be right up his alley. I'm turning AC after dark over to you. We got a real special guest, talented guest coming on the show, Jared. So uh, you do, you're still recording, right, Coach? I am still recording. It is Keep still it rolling. Going. It is still rolling. Keep it rolling. Ready Ladies roll. and gentlemen, very pleased to introduce the great Bob Thompson here to AC after dark. We don't have. We need like an intro song for you. I, I thought about that. I thought about making something really like ridiculous and self-congratulatory, <laughs> but I didn't. It's it's a lot of work to do something for a small joke like that. So it yeah. is. Well, and it's a lot of work to do all the songs that you have done. And so just let me start this off by saying thank you for all of the work. You're you know, it's, it's funny, like uh, when you're listening to audio, there's so many little touches that make an audio show work and that make it a special experience and that make it more than just people talking. You know, that's why we kind of do the audio drops and try and do some sound effects. But to me, when I'm listening to a show and a show has these really cool, well-produced like segment intros and music, it just it, it just it adds something. It, it's almost difficult to describe what it does for the audio experience. I think what you've done over the last few years for this show is really it's just awesome. And so I just I want to say thank you for all that work, because I think it makes a huge, huge difference, um, you know, just for everybody listening and for the personal pride that I take in the show. So it really has it really has made a big difference. So I hope you know how much we appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it, too. I I was reflecting before coming on here, thinking about how all of this even happened, at least with my involvement. And so I, I went back in my email and I found the first email I ever sent you. I sent you an email March 13th, 2015, just to say, hey, thanks for doing the show. Because I live in Muncie. I don't have, I mean, I got friends here, but none of my friends here grew up in Bloomington. None of them went to IU. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I want to sit around and talk about Calvert Chain and Alan Henderson sometimes. They're like, who? It's just like, yeah. oh, man, you know. <laughs> um, but on Twitter, I just stumbled upon the assembly calls. Like, they, they do this after every show. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm Jared. Like Jared is me. Like I'm always optimistic before each season. I'm thinking, I don't see a loss on the schedule. You know, like I think we're just going to run the table and then people have to talk me down, you know, but I don't know. It was just, it's such an amazing show and a, a great way to process each game. And like, you know, I didn't play basketball in high school, like hearing people who did play basketball and hearing coach Tom Sony who coaches basketball and all these things makes me a smarter fan. You know, I was busy playing piano in high school, but look at me now I get to contribute what I did in high school to help the show too. Um, so thank you for letting me be involved. Like I, I, I love the show and Galen, I'm glad you're here too. That I did not know that was going to happen. I love Crimson cast. Um, I've actually got deep ties to football. My mom was the administrative assistant for coaches, uh, Cameron through Lynch and even a little oh, into wow. Wilson. And so, yeah. 
um, really close to the football program, which has been a very difficult emotional journey, as you can imagine. Oh, I <laughs> until know. Recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you. I, I love doing this stuff. I'm, I'm glad you like it. I think like most humans, I'm my worst critic, you know? So when I hear them come on, I feel this mix of like pride that I get to be involved, but I hear all the inaccuracies and like the, the times where it's not mine, it's like some other one. I was like, oh, that one sounds so polished. How can I get it to sound that good? And, um, but I'm just glad you let me be involved. I, I love being able to be a part of something bigger than myself and something so great. Well, it's it's fantastic. And I, I, I think I want to play, you know, all of the ones that you have sent over, I think are great. But for me, I don't know which one is your favorite. In fact, let me ask you that first. Which one of all the jingles Ooh. that you've done, the songs you've done, which one is your favorite? Because I, I have one that I think is like your, that's just the, the best. Um, That's hard. That's a hard one. I think... It, I think Ryan's was my favorite to do because it pokes fun at him, you know, and he's just such an easy target. Actually, real quick, Ryan's story. Um, I went to the meetup right before the whole world shut down with COVID. I went to the meetup in Bloomington. Yeah. Uh, I ran into Andy at assembly call, had a nice chat. Um, I came up to you and coach at the event, had a nice chat. I ran up to Ryan. I think he just left the, re the restaurant. He gave me a wet handshake. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Um, so that, that was my only interaction Seriously? with Ryan Phillips. <laughs> So He's all that is completely all, ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and so I think his was my favorite to make. But then it's hard, too, because it's like it's a hip hop thing. Like, I mean, this is an audio podcast. But those of you on YouTube, do I do I look like I do hip hop? Do I sound like I do hip hop? Like, that's not my thing. So I felt kind of insecure. But it just it, it made me chuckle because, yeah, he's just an easy target. So that's probably my favorite one. All right, we let's listen to it real quick. And we're going to play it full because like you sent over these full ones. And so mm -hmm. we use shorter versions for the intro for the actual intros and we do the show. But here's the full Ryan Phillips jingle, we, mm -hmm. you know, and you and I go back and forth on these sometimes on email, you know, trying mm -hmm. to capture, trying mm -hmm. to like capture the person's essence with it, you know, and what and you I think you wrote all the lyrics for this one yourself, I believe. I did. Yeah, you did this did. one yourself. So here is the Ryan intro jingle, which is just fantastic. Get out of the way Cause Ryan's got a hundred thousand things to say The shot doctor's gonna go off on coach care How the Big Ten refs grow up every day Who's a senior writer for the big lead? His majesty's words are the elixir we need The only problem is he won't concede The mic to other voices even if they agree Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger uh, well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. <laughs> I mean, that is that's just perfect. That is absolutely perfect for Ryan. I love you referring to him as His Majesty. <laughs> I had forgotten about that little touch. I just figured that's kind of how he views himself, so I wanted to <laughs> kind of throw that in there. <laughs> It's great, man. It really, it really is great. And I know we're working. We're in the we're in the middle of working on an AC After Dark song. Yeah, intro music for AC After Dark, which I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah, we did a poll in the community, and then I I kind of regretted it afterwards because like the winner by far was like an R and B slow jam. I'm like, I gotta sing an R and B slow jam. Like, <laughs> oh geez, like I'm gonna push my auto tune to the brink because. I do a lot of things well musically. I can say that my my least secure one is singing. Like I can sing, but I'm not a singer. And I feel like songs like that are made because you got a singer. And so I'll so, come up I, with something. 
Galen, I would love to get your perspective on this too, because I, I'm not sure if people know your background in music and how much music you've done. And you've got albums out there, which that's kind of why I wanted to hint at it in the intro of this show. Yeah. But you know, you laugh, but it's good music, you know? Thanks. And it's, I, as someone who always wishes that he Thank was. You. Thank you. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's, yeah. It's in, like the whole thing is interesting because I, you know, for me, it's music's been kind of this just thing that I've done on my own. I started getting into home recording when I was like 17. You know, I had like a four track that didn't completely work and I played guitar and it was just like, let's record some demos. And that was essentially the extent of it. And then that builds over time. And especially and I spent a lot of my 20s um, with not a lot of, of, of human companionship, you know, like living in Iowa as a, as a radio broadcaster. Um where everybody in town is either under 18 or over 45. So there's like not a lot of social interaction taking place. So, you know, you, you sit in your apartment and you, you learn how to use Adobe audition properly to, you know, to create mixes and you, you know, and I've always been a huge music fan in general and dissecting how mixes work and how different elements get put together as, as I'm sure Bob is aware, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, there's a science to it, but it's an art at the same time. And to me, that's always been what's compelling about it. And, you know, to, you know, for me, it's always been, okay, can I write something that I'm happy with? And, and I think that that's always the pursuit. There's always something you're unhappy about. Like there's rarely, if ever, are you going to get to a point where you're completely satisfied with what you did, and it's and the problem with making music is it's multifaceted because it's there's the writing part there's the performance part there's the mixing part and all no, at some point along the way whenever you're listening to your stuff you're going to hear a hundred things that you did wrong and you know that's what makes it fun though uh, and it's also cool because ten years down the line you know that song that you've played a couple times now I mean that song was written in like. 2001 and recorded like four or five different times like a bunch of different versions of it and that's not even the best version of that song that's 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 there it's just the one that happened to get put out on the album so yeah it's one of the it's it's great because it's imperfect and, and i love that and even if no one listens to it it's nice to have kind of a memento of the the creative process when it's interesting, you know, you say that you can hear all the flaws in it, you know, and Bob, as you said, you know, you hear the jingles play and you can hear all the flaws. And to me and coach, like we listen to it and it sounds like this perfect, coherent production. Where it's like, <laughs> my God, that's awesome. Well, thank you. you know, yeah, because because we I we're fooled them again. <laughs> well, but that but that's the thing about music, you know, is you're creating this piece of art for an audience. And so often the audience is not thinking about it with the critical eye that you are. They're just taking it in and experiencing it as this whole thing, whereas you can kind of see all the parts of it, you know? And so that, that's got to make it interesting from your perspective to, to create, you know, and can you ever with a piece of your own music have that kind of detached experience where you just experience it or is it always just, it's always hearing critical. all all the all the parts and pieces. Yeah, it's always critical. It's not always critical bad, though, because like there are some things that I like about the jingles or else I wouldn't have sent them to you in the first place. Right. Like mm -hmm. it it's never going to be perfect, but it passed at least my this is not bad enough to keep from sending, you know, <laughs> if that's a way to put it. Um, but the, the jingles are the hardest for sure, because when I first contacted you, I remember I was getting ready for work and I heard what I thought was assembly call on my TV early in the morning. I'm like, that's not right. And it was just one of the, you know, 
music things that you either got for free or paid for that you used yeah. at the time. And it was playing for a jeans commercial. I'm like, huh? And I kind of felt offended because I'm like, <laughs> I don't want my podcast's music being played elsewhere. <laughs> and so that's what that's what prompted me to email you. I don't yeah. I didn't look up when that one was. But I'm like, hey, I noticed I heard this music elsewhere. I, I can play music. Would you be interested in some custom music? And you were all excited. And so like, that's one thing if I'm just playing some background music and send it to you, but then you're like, what about jingles? And here are these things. I'm like, oh, now I got to sing. Cause <laughs> I mean, Galen, I, I'm assuming you'd feel the same. Like when you sing and you put that out there, it's like, that's a vulnerable thing to do. It's like my, my guitar is me, but my voice is really me, you know, like that. It's, it's a scary thing, at least for me to do. I will say uh, having a broadcasting background helped me get over mm. that a lot because I mean, sure. you know, I'm doing, I'm doing hockey games and baseball games when I'm in my twenties and you, you just have to get used to people like you, your voice is your passport uh, at that mm. point to borrow a line from what, what movie was that sneakers or whatever it was from, from the nineties. But um, so you, to me, like you did, I just kind of got used to that aspect of it. I will say there's a kind of a, a weird detachment you get. I remember there was, I remember reading an article uh, about Simon and Garfunkel and they're, they're in the car and the, you know, the disc jockey comes on and announces that sound of silence has hit number one and they start playing it. And, and Garfunkel looks at Paul Simon. He's like, man, those guys must be having a great time with their life right now. Uh, <laughs> like, like it's just a completely different group of people. And mm -hmm. I do think that the, you know, there's a, there's a certain element of that where you can hear what you're doing on something that people are really enjoying. People really enjoy the work that you've done and it's cool, but it also doesn't quite feel like it's yours. It feels like it's almost escaped you and gone. And it, it, to some degree, I think it's why people that write, uh, you know, like professional music uh, that gets judged from an artistic perspective when people ask them, well, what does this mean? Uh, or, you know, what do the lyrics mean? There's, like a lot of it's like, it's really up to the audience. It's it, mm -hmm. Once I finish it and record it and it's out there, it really belongs to those people. At least that's how I've always felt about it. It, it leaves you at that point. Yeah. That's a good perspective to have. I should strive for that, I guess. <laughs> well, and, and Bob, it's been a thrill for me because I'm like, I wish I was musical. Like I've often said, like if I could have a talent that I don't have, it would be the ability to sing. Like I would love to be the lead singer of a band. I think that would be so much fun, you know, but I just, I can't sing, you know? So it just, it's never been in the cards and I was never, I played the piano when I was younger, but I was never musical, but I love like actually creating music. Like I, when we're going back and forth with lyrics, it is so much fun for me. You know, I love that part of it. I emailed you today. Like mm -hmm. I was trying to think of lyrics for the AC after dark thing. And it came to me while I was doing, I was washing dishes. So I'm like, I got it. So I like threw the dish down, like turn the water off. I'm like running, dripping water as I'm running to the keyboard to to send it to you before I lost it. Um, so it's it's been fun for me because I've been able to kind of indulge that a little bit, you know, and, and then bring the songs in here and get to listen to them um, for something I care about. So it's really it's really been a thrill, uh, you know, because you Bob, actually bring the ability to create the music. <laughs> so. uh, uh, a, good couple, a couple things, Bob. One, I play it for my students and they think it's the coolest thing ever. That, <laughs> that I have a jingle like I've arrived it's like giving me some street cred man so I, I owe you I owe you a dinner he remembers the days when movie cost a dollar heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar play hard but remember fake hustle is a crime he's the coach and it's not so time 
I mean, so, Classic. so sometimes when I really want to, I, I, I have a walk-up song now, you know, and, and you're like a major league baseball player with your walk-up song. I think it's really cool. Um, you know, I've also used it on date night with Mrs. Tonsoni. Like when I come out, yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's Tonsoni time. I play it over to Bluetooth and, you know, she better be ready to go, Bob. So, wait, 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 wait. That's my, my walk-up song, you know, to go out to the movies or something, so. Okay. I need to issue a formal apology to Mrs. Thompson. That was not my intention. (laughs) So I I really owe you. This is AC after dark. That's right. You got to get to the after dark part here. Um, No, but it's a talent. uh, And, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to tell my students to find their passion and, 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 and try to pursue it or enjoy your passion. If you can, I, I know you gotta, you know, you can't always just find work in your passion, but too many times, I think, in education, we force people into um, certain modules or certain places, and so many people have talent. Uh, and, and to share that talent like you are doing with us um, because you appreciate w- what you've been on the show just means the world um, to us. And it, it, it's kind of why, you know, I, I do this on Thursday nights is, is to, to help. And, and you're helping us out by, by making it a lot more uh, pleasurable than just seeing – you know, my ugly picture on the, on the screen talking about basketball. So I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, seriously. I, I think it's just been a, a great addition uh, to our show and it's forced me to know how to download and run a soundboard. So um, I, I've advanced, <laughs> but thanks Bob. Seriously. It's been really, uh, we really enjoy oh, what you've contributed. It's my pleasure. Like it's, it's the same too. Like I, I'm in education, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so I don't do music stuff on the clock. And so this has given me a nice, like, concrete thing to do music for like because i'll pick up my guitar and play for five ten minutes on occasion but if i have a goal like jared emails me like oh how about a jingle for this then i've got this project and it motivates me and puts me in my studio for those listening i'm using quotes i'm in my small spare guest room with a keyboard and two guitars and that's about it so Mm -hmm. that's my studio it's where but the magic it's, happens. It's where the ma- you you once in an email, Jared. You said explore the studio space, and I just chuckled to myself. It's like what? <laughs> I'll swivel in my chair. I could do that, I suppose. But there's, there's not a lot of space. Let me, but... let me download a plugin. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So with all my virtual instruments, playing the drums on my keyboard, that's that's how it goes. Around how long here. does it take you, know, you it, to? How long does it take you from start to to finish? And how many times do you go back and say, "I want to fix this little piece or that"? And then at what point do you say, "Hey, I just got to get it to Jared," or "I got to get it to somebody"? Uh, what What's your process? That's a great question. Um, if if I have an idea, I can go pretty quickly. Like I'm a pretty good guitar player. I'm a pretty good piano player. And then with drum stuff, like, I mean, I, I play it in real time on a keyboard, which I guess is a niche talent in itself. But with software, you can do this thing called quantize where basically you hit a button and it's perfectly in time. So like, I don't need to stress about doing takes over and over and over again. So if I have an idea, I could get a rough draft in under an hour, I would say. Now with like, for example, for AC After Dark, we start like tossed this idea around last week and I didn't get my real good idea until yesterday. And so like, that was a long time. But a lot of the process doesn't actually happen when I'm sitting here. I was listening to an interview. It was on Conan O'Brien's podcast and he interviewed John Cleese of all people. But he said, when you're a writer, you're writing all the time in your head. It's not just when you sit down. And oftentimes you do most of the work in your head before you sit down. And that's Mm -hmm. true for me too, where I'm thinking of ideas. I'm thinking of arrangement and instrumentation. And once I get the idea, I can crank it out. Now, once I get the rough draft, I listen to it in here and then in my speakers in the living room. And then I go in my car and then I go in my wife's car and then I tweak it 
And I probably do that for a span of 24 to 48 hours because it always sounds different. And, and the thing that's hardest for me production wise is if you want to do music professionally, you go to a studio and studios are treated to have perfect like sound when you mix it. I'm in a rectangular room, which is less than ideal with speakers that are less than ideal. So like, that's why I'll never have the polish of a professional recording. And that irks me. And I'm learning it does not irk you guys at all. You, you just, you think it's great, which is great for me. It kind of helps ease the pressure. Um, so that's kind of the process. Most of it's in the head beforehand. Once I got it, it's, it's really, it's really not too bad of a process and it's a lot of fun. So even if it does take a while, it doesn't feel that way. Great comment from Tony who says, Bob puts his pants on one leg at a time, but when his pants are on, <laughs> he makes gold records. <laughs> that's oh, where man. the explore the studio space reference comes of course <laughs> by the way apparently this conan john cleese interview that you're talking about is incredible alex says that interview is some of the best non-pod iu podcast material he's ever heard so it was very, it was very good you know the other thing uh that's interesting bob you mentioned that you're a teacher just yep. like coach is a teacher and galen is a teacher and you know chris from iu artifacts is a teacher we got a lot of teachers who uh who populate the assembly call airwaves here so how long have you been uh, a fifth grade teacher? Oh, man, I'm a Grizzly veteran of two years now. Okay. <laughs> so um, I I went to Ball State. So I didn't even go to IU. I grew up in IU. But I went to Ball State, studied communications. It's actually music ministry for 13 years. And then I worked with at-risk youth, which transitioned into being a fifth grade teacher. Last year was my first year. And what a first year because COVID and everything. And oh, so this is, my, this is my second year. We've actually been in person the whole year, which is I feel like kind of more rare for the country these days. Um, but it's been awesome. Like I love working with kids. Um, I like being a male teacher in an elementary school. We're kind of a rare breed. Um, and I became a teacher because I, I worked with a lot of at-risk youth. I identified a lot of these at-risk youth, like just don't have good male role models in their lives. I want to be that. And I want to be that maybe in kids' lives before they end up at a, like a facility due to delinquent behaviors. And so um it's awesome yeah i've been a teacher this is my second year i really like it and i tell you you elementary teachers are just a blessing man i don't know how you do it i mean (laughs) you got to have high level energy you know i have my own issues with juniors and seniors but they pale in comparison with the amount of attention and care and energy that you have to bring at that elementary level so thanks for doing that yeah it's a well first of all thank you and you're welcome it's i feel like it's just a different skill set like i could not teach kindergarten through second grade. I couldn't, I just don't have the, like I can handle a sassy preteen way better than I can handle a crying kindergartner who can't tie their shoe, right? Um, but then I could probably handle a sassy preteen better than I could a high school junior or senior. Cause yes, you need elementary or energy in elementary school, but those kids give you a lot of that. Like a lot of those kids have met much to spare. And so you've, you've got a lot going on in the room, but yeah, it's a good job. That is awesome. Good for you, mm-hmm. man. Thank we you. need more people like you that have that purpose. Absolutely. It's huge. I see the dogs have made an appearance here on AC After Dark. At least one of the dogs has, yes. <laughs> He's, he has to make a cameo every single time I'm on here. So so I know it's getting late, and we don't want to go too much longer. But, Bob, this is, it's been it's so much fun talking with you, and yeah. we need to get you on the show more. I mean, you just, sure. you just need to become a part of, uh, of coming on the show. I want to get, like, an IU memory from you, though. Ooh. Like, what is – yeah, what is – like – I know you talked about, you know, Calbert Chaney and Alan Henderson. What is kind of your first IU basketball memory that locked you in to where decades later you're writing music for an <laughs> IU basketball podcast? I'm going to cheat and give you two. First one's not IU, but we my my dad was in the army, so we I was born in Virginia, lived in Hawaii of all places from ages 2 to 5, 
when I was five, the summer of 88, we moved here to Bloomington. My first, one of my earliest Bloomington memories is I'm shooting baskets in my new driveway at my new house with a little basketball. And this man comes by our driveway, pulling his daughter in a wagon. He's chatting to my dad. And then he yells to me, you a Hoosier yet? And I was like, huh? Like, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, turns out when you live in Hawaii, you don't get to watch a lot of IU basketball. My dad's a huge fan. He went to IU, but I just didn't know. And my dad just kind of chuckled and he went on his way. And that man ended up being J.R. Holmes, like legendary hey. high school basketball coach. <laughs> yeah. I, I lived two doors down from J.R. Holmes when I moved to Bloomington. Wow. So that's my first Hoosier memory. Um, my first basketball memory, I, I don't remember which came first. I remember um, my dad screaming at the top of his lungs for one of the J. Edwards buzzer beaters in the 88 uh-huh. 89 season and coming down to like what what happened and then he's like watch this watch this and i saw the replay and so i got excited i love how there are so um, many options for what that could be <laughs> i know but then also that season my dad took me to a game and i had never been to a game and you guys know the first time you walk into assembly hall you're hooked like yeah. it's just amazing and he took me down during warm-ups to the court level and you don't know how tall those players are until your court level especially when you're I, at that point i was six yeah. um and for whatever reason you know you're six years old you see something you attach eric anderson was my attachment. I thought he's my favorite player. Why? I don't know. I'm six, but he's my favorite player. Um, so 32 became my favorite number. It's still my favorite number. That's the jersey I have on my IU jersey. Um, so that's my earliest memory. And so, but we were season ticket holders. And so I grew up going to multiple games a year. I didn't understand why anybody wouldn't. Like, it just didn't occur to me, like, wait, doesn't everyone go? Everyone goes to games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just part of the upbringing. And and that was a big culture shock when I moved away from Bloomington. I moved to Muncie, Indiana in the year 2000, and no one cares about anything here in Muncie. Like, no one cared about Ball State athletics for sure. <laughs> the football team had the nation's longest losing streak, and David Letterman did a spot every Monday. He's like, here's the Ball State highlights. It would show our one touchdown and say, and Ball State loses 42-7, to extending the streak. It's like, it was just dead culturally. So put that on the sign when you drive in. <laughs> no one cares about it. No one cares. It's it's changed a lot. I'm I'm whatever. It's changed a lot, but that was, you know, 21 years ago. I'm getting old. But. What elementary school did you go to? Uh well, so we talked about this on Twitter. I went to Childs. You and I went to elementary school together, Jared, which yeah. is nuts. You were a year ahead of me. That's um, crazy. And I had a thought today. Did you play Smithville basketball? Yes. Oh yeah. When, when you were in fourth grade, do you remember the name of the team you played on in Smithville basketball? No, I might if you like when I was in third grade and you would have been in fourth. I played on a team called the Bucks, and I just wondered, is there any chance Jared and I played on the same basketball? I remember I played for the Wee Willies uh, T ball, like like Little League baseball Mm. team was Wee Willies. I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the Smithville team though. Gotcha. So, yeah, you and I went to elementary school level. I sang in middle school choir with with, uh, General Chad Schwarzkopf. That's amazing. Just the connections in this community are incredible. And then he contacted me. If you two did play, you never got any shots because Jared is going to take all the shots. Uh, you know, he's, he's <laughs> not just... back then. Not back then, Coach. Not back then. I was just a, uh, I was just a little pudgy guy that didn't really know what he was doing on a basketball court back then. Me too. I guess we I... all were. Maybe everybody yeah. was at Smithville. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hit what, what team Scott played on in Bloomington when he was growing up. We, we, we might have yeah. an even stronger connection here. So you know, I got to look. My mom still has like some old VHS tapes from smithville and of course they still have a vcr to play them on mm. i guess galen does too so i shouldn't scoff at that they can be very useful <laughs> i'm on like my fifth vcr in the last six years by the way it's i'm gonna go better. next time i'm home I'll, I'll probably i'll be at home for mother's day probably i'm gonna look and see if i can figure it out 
Because that, that would be that'd be incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost certain at least at recess one day we were in the same game of basketball. I bet so. Because I played I a ton and I assumed you did too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who would have known? All right. So last question for you before we get out of here. Just yeah. give me your your thoughts on the program right now. Kind of your – I know you kind of had the same malaise that we – wait, did we get to your question? We, we did didn't not. get to your question, did we? Not on there. It was answered in the community. Coach answered it in the community. That's right. Okay, so you said this question. We were going to answer it. You said, I haven't felt this good about Indiana basketball since Archie Miller got hired. Whoops. At times, I now feel gun-shy about letting myself feel all in on my usual evergreen optimism. Tell me why I should ignore my triggered PTSD and truly believe that success is on the way. So we can certainly answer that, but I, like, give me give me your gut feeling right now, how you're how you're feeling. So I wrote that because I'm scared of my gut feeling, which is we're going to win it all. Not the whole, whatever, but, but we're going to be, we're going to feel like we're back in the conversation. That's how I feel. Right. I, I did not like the Woodson hire when I immediately heard about it. Um, and granted, and I'll, you know, I've been educated since I didn't really understand who Mike Woodson was. Like I knew he played for us. Uh, and that's kind of it. And I knew he was in my deck of IU basketball playing cards. That's really all I knew. <laughs> um, but, you know, the staff he puts together, knocked it out of the park. The players he kept, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, except for Armand. But then Armand's gone. You get, to, you know, Bates. It's just like, oh, my gosh. And I listened to the interview with Bates and Cop on Hoosier Hysterics. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to win the Big Ten. Like, that's just kind of where I go emotionally. And then I have to pump the brakes because I felt like we were going to win the Big Ten when Archie got hired. So my gut says we're going to win a lot. But then I'm trying to temper that because I've been burned. Yeah. Okay. So, Galen, tell Bob why he should ignore. Nor his uh, triggered PTSD and truly believe the success is on the way. Well, gosh, I mean, I, (laughs) I think most of our PTSD is pretty well earned, but I think, I think you can have reasonable expectations that are significantly higher from what we've experienced up to this point. I, I look, I'll always, I'll always say guard your heart to some degree as we get, started on things because you you don't want to get into that uh, yeah i think we, we, especially when the korean era got going one mm-hmm. of the things that wore people out was that people got fully into it and then had to back off uh, almost against their will and then by the time it came to get fully into it again everybody was too gun shy to do so i think this feels different though i really do because it's it feels like the program's in the hands of people who know what they're doing yeah. and that is a big important part of making this work. And so that's, I guess, if I'm predicating my hope on anything, uh, it is that I feel like the people understand the program, what needs to happen. And it's not one person trying to do everything. It's a bunch of people trying Mm -hmm. to do things, all of whom have had success at varying levels. Uh, So that gives me a lot more confidence than I would have had if it had, even if they'd hired the best possible college coach to come in, and it was still that one person. I think that in the back of my head, I'd still be like, eh, I'm not totally going to commit to this because it could turn out bad because it has the last couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's my selling point, I guess, is that uh, there's enough people here who have had high-level success that it feels like it would be a real shock if everything just you know went the wrong direction. What pear-shaped, as the English say. <laughs> Bob, I'm with you 100%, okay. and I'm in the same spot that, that, that you are and have been with, with the hire and, and so forth. So it just feels different, and we talked about that earlier on the show. There, there's just been enough positive, uh, enough things that show me what, from afar, we were actually missing under Crean and Miller. Um, 
and I think that we're starting to recapture that. And as Galen said, I'm guarding my heart until um, I see what's happening on the basketball floor. But I think even even if it's not a, a top Big Ten or a top seed in the NCAA, I think just the whole program by itself is in a better place. And that makes me happy. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm generally – uh, an all-in on every coach hire that Indiana's made in football and basketball in the last two only to, to be let down. So I'm a little more guarded this time uh, as well, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it feels a lot different, uh, and I think the foundation is different. Uh, when I look back at Archie Miller's hire, when I look back at Tom Crean's hire, I don't see that foundation when they started as much as I do now. Uh, and again, maybe that's my uh, crimson-colored glasses shining through a little bit, but the foundation seems different. It seems like it was back in the 80s when I went to school um, – and uh, I, I, that's what I'm hanging my hat hat on. I'm you convinced. Know, Bob, undefeated. We're going undefeated <laughs> this year. I feel it now. I'm, I'm convinced. And, and Bob, I'm also not sure why you submitted your question with text because you've actually submitted a similar question <laughs> via audio before, which you might have to play now. Should oh, I believe in the high? Will our depth be out of sight? Will each position really be too deep? I do not know when I'm losing sleep. You know I've heard it before. But will it show up when they're on the floor? Should I believe in the high? Should I believe in the high? Should I believe in the high? Truly. That's by far your most underrated piece of music that you sent to us. There's just less less opportunities to use it, but I'm going to find them because that You're was a find- one. <laughs> that was one of those. As soon as I saw that tweet you sent, that was like instant. Like that's it. And so the whole day at school, I'm thinking through in my head. I came home, probably churned it out in like 45 minutes and sent it. Oh, uh, it was great. Thank you. It was great. Well, Bob. Thank you for everything that you've done for the show. Thank Absolutely. you for coming on. This was awesome. I look forward to the next time we're all in Bloomington mm-hmm. and we can hang out again. It was great meeting you at the at the meetup. We'll try to make sure that Ryan is a little bit better behaved, has better manners, doesn't give you a wet handshake out of I'll bring, the bathroom. I'll bring a hand towel. I'll bring a hand towel. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are the stories that come out on AC After Dark, you know, soon to have its own theme music. So. That was uh, awesome. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome to meet you, Galen. Awesome yeah, to re-meet you guys, you. Coach and Jared. Yep. It's anytime. I love it. Love you guys. I need to Bob. have a, a collaboration, Bob and Galen. Ooh. A- I mean, let me know. We'll, we'll trade some uh, trade some wave files. It'll be great. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it should sound it should sound better than just trade wave files. It's well, like, no, let's yeah, get in yeah, the yeah, studio sure. together. Uh, let's. No, I mean you know, collaborate on GarageBand. I mean, we'll, we'll, we've got we've got options at our disposal here. So. I could get another swivel chair from my room here. We could, you know, I'm vaccinated. Just I mean, saying. the big thing, I know, but the big the big thing has been, you know, can we do this? Can we do this online? Can we, you know, we just we'll use Streamyard. We'll just like collaborate in in. It'll be it'll be delightful. We'll we'll make it happen somehow. Cool. Sounds awesome. That's true. That is awesome. All right, everybody, Coach. Thanks for hosting. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, By the way, I'm going to put the Steve Green audio from the community out as a podcast. Look for that later next week. We're going to do an interview um, with some more people about the social media stuff. So we got lots of content coming. Galen and Scott will fill in the gaps when we're not doing stuff. Alex over at Podcast on the Brink. It's a heck of a a network of IU shows that we have going on here. It is quite fascinating. It's awesome. I wonder if if something could be done with those shows. Uh, Well, uh, yeah. 
by, by, by some chance. Maybe. Wonder if there's a vision. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave Thank it at that. you all. Thanks for having me. It was always a pleasure, Bob. Great to great to see you in person. Big fan of the work. So thank you. Thank yep. you very much. Keep your elbows in. Peace. Everybody. Eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. The Times, a daily news podcast from the Los Angeles Times, gives you the world through the eyes of the West Coast. Through interviews and original stories, The Times is a podcast you need to understand the world and how California shapes it. Because if an issue that's in California isn't in your town yet, it will be soon. New episodes of The Times are available every weekday. To find it, go wherever you get your podcasts and search for The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Gracias. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com.